1.5. The master said, the way to lead a thousand chariot state is to carry out your official duties respectfully and make good on your word. Be frugal in your expenditures and cherish others and to employ the common people only at the proper times of the year. Okay, so what we're talking about here is what to do if you are a scholar, official, or a minister, or just simply put an official. Um, and we have three levels here. So the first statement has to do with what you owe to your Lord. The second one has to do with how you deal with your peers. And the last one has to do with the common people whom you've been elevated above. Uh, so we have three le uh, levels here, above um, your peers and below. And uh, so let's take this one at a time. So the first thing is, uh, what is a thousand chariot state? This is basically a very large state. Back in those days, um, the most advanced kind of um, warfare technology would have been the chariot. Uh, you know, what we're doing with the chariot is it's made out of wood and you have uh, transformed wood, which is straight into something of, um, you know, that has wheels and that kind of thing, pulled by horses, which are tamed um, and tamed and trained well enough to be able to fight um, in, in warfare. And you've got people, you know, firing arrows from the chariot. So this is the most advanced um, kind of weaponry of its time. So if you have a thousand of these, and uh, this means you have many more horses and many more drivers and many more archers, you're obviously a very powerful and sizable state. Um, so basically, uh, Confucius is saying here, even with a state this large, you need to be able to focus on the fundamentals. So that first fundamental is about carrying out your official duties uh, respectfully and living up to your word. So that one is pretty straightforward um, to understand. Again, living up to words is harder than it seems, especially when you're dealing with political leadership. You know, there's temptations to not actually go through with it. And in fact, and in general, you're leading other people and a lot of complications can arise from that. Uh, this next part um, about uh, being frugal in your expenditures um, and cherishing your peers. Uh, you know, even though you have high position, you don't want to be reckless with how you spend money, um, even though that's being paid by your Lord or by the government. Uh, you know, you, you want to be sincere and you don't want to take advantage of the situation. Um, 
if you are talking about uh, when we're talking about cherishing your peers, um, you know, have a good spirit when regards when you're dealing with um, other people of your upper class of your rank. Um, so you know, don't try to contend with them. Don't try to compete with them for promotions. Um, get along with them. You know, you're supposed to work with your peers as a an official or a minister in order to benefit the whole country, in order to benefit the whole state. You're not there just to look for the next position, the next promotion, the next job up. This clearly is not something that we see in our elected politicians today. They frequently are looking for the next election. And if you're not looking for the next election with that same position, they're looking for the uh, one day becoming even higher. So all the governors are looking one day to become president and all the uh, you know senators are looking to be maybe governors or presidents in the future. Um, so instead of doing what's right and good for the whole community, for the whole country, they just contend with each other and compete, make each uh, make other people look bad, and then that gets reciprocated back to them. So everybody looks terrible, and they're not actually cooperating to to help the public. All right, let's look at the last part here. Um, what does it mean to uh, employ the common people, the commoners, to work only at the proper time of year? So back then, um, most people were farmers. And so there was would always be a planting season and there would always be a harvest season. And if you miss those times, well, you could starve to death. You and your family could starve to death. So you never want to employ people. And back then, what they um, there were basically two types of taxes um, that most people, most farmers had to uh, pay. And one was, of course, a, a portion of the grain that they raised. Um, and according to Confucian thought, um, that is set at 10%, not higher, not lower. Um, lower is insufficient for the state to perform its functions, um, but higher is unnecessary. It's going to be oppressive. And that's, you know, if you look at today um, and you see that something like 60% of each dollar um, that passes hands is taxed, um, the amount of taxation is just enormous. Just even as a middle class person, you're paying way, way, way more than 10% for every dollar that you gain and spend. Um, I'll leave it up to you to count up all the ways, income tax, sales tax, property tax, etc., that you are, um, it's not even just being nickel and dime, it's, it's more like, you know, um, it's just being, it's just chunks of it, chunks of your, savings are being torn away from you uh, at every turn. And, um, you know, you'll see that the uh, the government collects more than enough money. It's just being poorly spent, ineffectively spent, or uh, because of the corruption that ends up happening in government, a lot of the money is just going to their to their friends or their buddies, or as an indirect way to, to buy votes. For example, you're you know, promising, say, all these construction companies um, or these construction workers that you're going to up spending in that area. Well, that's a way to try to get votes from them, even though it might not be time to employ 
um, people to uh, build these uh, roads or to construct these airports or whatever you're doing or these high-speed rails etc so there's just a lot of um, a lot of taxation don't think that life was actually more burdensome back then in terms of taxes now anyways there's something called the corvette tax um, this is basically um, a, a direct tax um, you can think of it as a sort of a labor a tax that's paid in, in the form of labor so um, in order to do things like build roads back then or build fortresses to to protect boundaries um, you would need just you know a good deal of labor so there was a certain amount of labor that you could ask the common people to uh, the common man specifically males not females uh, man to contribute uh, this is a lot like drafting um, you know it's um, in the sense that if something needs to be done and you require men to sacrifice their time or even their lives in order to protect their community, in order to benefit the community, um, we understand, you know, that your your freedoms um, can't be unlimited. You know, so sometimes we can all um, a reasonable person can agree that at some point you need to um, you might need to draft uh, people to defend the country um, if if it, if the situation really calls for it. So. If we can understand that we are asked, we're basically forcing people to give up their lives because not everybody's going to come out of the, out of this alive, then we can understand why uh, it would make sense to do something um, like ask people to contribute some hours of labor every year in order to make sure the community is safe, protected, and can benefit for the future. So. To wrap this up, um, we have this advice for people who become officials um, to to affect leadership in government. And so you are being, uh, you know, you're making good on your word and being respectful to your Lord. Um, you're getting along with your peers. You have a very warm um, connection to them. And you are being sensitive towards the needs of the common people. You're not working them too hard and you're certainly not taking them away from critical times in their lives. Um, that's just something that we don't really do today. And um, not only because we don't ask for direct labor, um, but because we, we just tax a lot from everybody right, in terms of just money. Um, you can also think this this is a little bit of a tangent but you can also think about the nature of what it means to take people's time away when they most need it and this relates to this problem that we have today where young people are not given enough time to simply do the things that they need to do as young persons i'm not talking about going out to play in a playground what i'm talking about is people who are young adults and we don't give them enough time for them to find spouses and if they do find somebody they can marry we don't give them enough time to get married and to start having children we just require them to work uh, right out of the gates right out of their education we require them to work 
we don't give them a year off. Um, some cultures give a year off for the honeymoon period. Uh, and that's to start having children. Instead, what we do is we immediately burden them with tons of financial pressure of all sorts. A lot of these people are in debt coming out of education. A lot of these people go into debt in order to have a place to live. Um, and the places that people live, if you're in an apartment, this is a really hard place to raise a, a child. If you have a house, you're already burdened with a huge mortgage that's debt. Debt is, being in debt is practically uh, being enslaved financially. Why? Because you don't have a place to live, you don't have money, therefore you don't have things like food. Um, if you go into debt, so you're basically forced to work. It's just that you have a little bit of choice as to what exactly to do, but realistically you don't have much of a choice. So there is a kind of financial slavery when you put people into debt and that becomes normalized. It might be temporary slavery. It might not be. Um, some people just never get to really pay off their debt. Um, but ultimately what you have is a situation where people are very stressed out and they're constantly working and they've got this huge, this huge um, uh, blade hanging over their head, this uh, sword hanging over their head. And that's stressful and that means you can't really enjoy life and just you know, have children with your spouse as easily. So I, uh, this whole idea of um, timeliness is very important in general Confucian's thought. Um, there's a time for everything and that has to do with nature. If you ignore these things, your society will go into chaos and for the common man, it'll collapse. One thing to notice about the reality of societies is that you can have really bad societies, really terrible nations, and they just last for a very long time. It's not always true, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately in certain ways, but it's not always true that just because a country is morally and culturally bankrupt that they will fall and a new government will rise. It's not always the case. And uh, eventually the problems catch up even to the very wealthiest and most powerful people in that society. But it never, almost never comes soon enough. So this idea of a timeliness is very important. So if you want to have good leadership, this is a good place to, uh, if you want to be a good single leader, this is a good place to, to start thinking about your relations with this Analect 1.5.